we are going to take the next three weeks and look through the, the Gospel of Luke's account. So if you guys would, please stand and turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. And Audrey Barlow is going to come up and she's going to read for us. And we're going to be in verse 26 through 38. And so please stand again as we read and hear God's Word for God's people. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth is in her old age, has in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for becoming flesh and dwelling among us. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to become flesh and dwell among us. Uh, we, we celebrate the incarnation every day of every week here at the crossing. But in particular, this time, we, we zero in and focus on God becoming plus. We, we celebrate Jesus' birth. It's an incredible thought. We celebrate that not only Jesus was born, but he, he grew up to be our great high priest and experienced life as we know it. And he can sympathize with our, with our struggles and with our weaknesses, and yet he was without sin. So now he can give us faith to those who are doubting right now. He can encourage us to those who are downcast. He can bring and give joy to those who are sad. But more importantly, as we focus today, we focus on hope. He can bring hope to those who are in despair. So Lord, hear our prayer and prepare our hearts to look at the story of the birth of Christ. The initial uh, response and announcement from Gabriel to Mary as we look into this intimate moment between a, a heavenly host and a teenage girl. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You guys, go ahead and be seated. I'm like many of you. I love Christmas. I love the Advent season. We're in our second week here. Daniel kicked us off last week great in Matthew, talking looking at the genealogy of Christ. And we're, we're looking here this morning at the promise of hope. The, the promise of hope to this young teenage girl, Mary. And this promise of hope comes through a miraculous announcement of this pregnancy and birth that is going to take place. Now throughout history, there have been some uh, amazing and even astonishing births. And I want to highlight some of this 
for you. Some of you ladies in here might start twitching a little bit when you hear some of these stats, right? Such as this. We hear some women at one time give birth to five, five children, right? Called, what's that, quintuplets, right? And then we had Octomom, you know, eight babies at one time. But do you know what the record number of, of a woman giving birth is to, at a single time? The record number of children one woman gives birth to at one time? Do you know what it is? Seventeen. And it's an American woman, yes! American woman from uh, Indianapolis. She gave birth to 17 kiddos at one time. Here are their names. All boys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here we go. James, Jacob, Jared, Jarvis, Jason, Jeffrey, Jeremy, Jerome, Jesse, Jimmy, Jehoiakim, Jonathan, Jonas, Joseph, Julian, Jimbo, and finally, Darth. All right. So that's crazy, right? That's an amazing thing. Ladies, can you imagine giving birth to 17 kids at one time? How about this? The most children from one woman, giving birth from one woman. This is crazy. The greatest officially recorded number, and I had to look this up multiple sources to make sure this was true, not just on the internet, right? Because everything on the internet is true. Take a guess. Don't be shy. 37, 20, 40. How about 69? She was a Russian woman. But this is what's even more amazing. She gave birth in 1707 to 1782. Not in today's, with all the medicine and medical things. She gave birth to 16 pairs of twins, 7 sets of triplets, and 4 sets of quadruplets. 69 kids. Holy legacy. And then you have some babies that are born have just an astonishing size and weight, right? When we hear, when we hear a lady gives birth and she, the baby was 12 pounds, we're like, whoa, 12 pounds. The largest, according again, the Guinness Book of World Records, this person was born in Canada. You ready for this? The largest baby ever born, 23 pounds. That is not a baby. That is a kindergartner. So we have these astonishing births even in, you know, where we live, work, and play. But even, even in the Bible, we have astonishing births, amazing births. We can think of Sarah with Isaac, Hannah with Samuel, Elizabeth with John the Baptist as coal red. Uh, we can have that, but we know, of course, that none of these births compare to the birth and the announcement of King Jesus. His birth was truly astonishing, amazing, unusual, and maybe the best word we can say is miraculous. Those feelings that you had as I was reading about, you know, the 17 at one time, the 69 altogether, the 23 pounder, we have this feeling of awe, amazement, unbelief. Every time we read the story and the birth of Jesus, like in Luke chapter 1, we should have those same feelings and even that much more so. Hopefully this, this story hasn't become stale to you because it is miraculous. It is like anything that has ever happened for a number of reasons. One, we, we know that, that Mary was a virgin. She was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And because of this, Jesus, again, was both divine and He was both human. He was God and man. He, he would grow up and He would save humanity from their sins by dying on the cross for our sins. This is truly a miraculous birth that we celebrate every Christmas. 
And those feelings of amazement and awe and wonder and miraculous should, should overwhelm your soul. Jesus' birth gives us hope this morning because nothing is impossible with God. So if you need peace this morning, if you need love this morning, if you need hope this morning, if you need salvation this morning, look to no other than Jesus, the baby that was born in the manger some 2,000 plus years ago. And I said, we're talking about hope this morning. This is an announcement of hope from Gabriel to Mary. And when we think about hope in our society, we think hope more as an uncertain expectation, as some kind of desire or wish or dream for something good to happen in the future, but not sure it's going to happen. We're, we're hoping something happens, such as for many of you, the Broncos winning the Super Bowl this year, right? Not going to happen. I'm in the same boat. I'm a Steelers fan, so not going to happen, right? That hope dashed. Maybe some of you are hoping to pass your finals coming up. Some of you in here are hoping to, to find that true love and, and get married. Some of you are hoping for your, for your first child. Some of you are hoping for that job or creating that business that will bring you the success, the joy, the security, uh, the ability to retire and enjoy this life. But it's not certain. That's worldly hope. Biblical hope is certain. Biblical hope is not uncertain or unexpected. It is expected. It is certain. It is a fact. It is a confident expectation and desire for something good in the future. It's a confident expectation that will help. And I love how R.C. Sproul puts it. Man, I wish R.C. Sproul was still living. This is how he says it. He says, hope is the anchor of the soul. It gives stability to the Christian life. But hope is not simply a wish. I wish that such and such would take place. Rather, it is that which latches on to the certainty of the promise of the future that God has made. That's hope. That's what, that's what we celebrate. That's why Psalm 42 says, the psalmist says, hope in God. Because He is the one that can bring back hope and dreams. Joseph 11 says this, and you will feel secure because there is a hope. You will look around and take your rest in security. And ever since Genesis chapter 3, uh, the world has been pining for hope, has been longing for hope, has been awaiting for hope against our greatest enemy, and that is sin, to bring us back into right relationship with the Lord. And in Luke chapter 1, that promise of hope is about to be realized for the whole world and be secured through Jesus. So let's look at this. Look at the stage of hope is set in Luke 1, 26 through 27. After 500 years of silence from the Lord, all of a sudden the Lord sends an angel, the angel Gabriel. And he first sends him to Zechariah and Elizabeth, but first to Zechariah in Luke 1 through 11, that comes prior to our text. And then to this betrothed couple that we are looking at today, to Mary. And again, we've got to remember Luke's, who Luke is. Luke is a, a sharp man. He's a, he's a doctor. He's a Gentile. He's not Jewish. And he's doing some investigating reporting in the book of Luke to, to share with his buddy Theophilus about Jesus. And so what we're about to look at is we're looking at the, the interview notes, so to speak, with Luke and Mary. He's tracked down Mary and he's like, Mary, tell me what happened Give me the story of Gabriel the angel coming to you. And we re he records it by the Holy Spirit. This is what we have. Look at verse 26. In the sixth month, the sixth month is the same 
sixth month as Elizabeth's miraculous pregnancy in verse 36. That's the context. The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And in this account, he gives us a lot of detail. And there's a reason why he gives us a lot of detail. I mean, we could spend, you know, three or four sermons just on these two verses alone. But let me just highlight a couple. First, again, he says it was the sixth month, again, referring, tying Mary to Elizabeth and these two women having amazing pregnancies together. But Gabriel, we know Gabriel was an angel. He's one of two angels named in the Bible. Who's the other one? Michael the archangel, yep. And we see here that Gabriel has a special place. He's like God's personal assistant. It's God's personal measure. Gabriel was sent from God. There's three or four times in which Gabriel is named and we see is sent from God. Twice it's here in the book of Luke, but then also way back in Daniel. And what we see is tied to these messages or these great revelations regarding some of the peaks of biblical prophecy that Gabriel gets to bring from God. From the throne of heaven, he, he sends out his emissary, Gabriel, to share this message. And here we see Gabriel has been appointed by God to announce Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus' imminent revival. I'm sorry, uh, imminent arrival. An arrival via virgin conception and birth. It's an incredible thing. This great moment of expectation, of hope, of the coming Messiah, the coming deliverer, we cannot emphasize enough. In particular, in Joseph's, in in this culture, in this time, I mean, Israel was longing for the Messiah, the one that was promised way back in Genesis chapter 15, this one serpent crusher that would come and crush the head of the serpent. They were longing for this one. There's an expectation, anticipation, just as we are longing for Jesus to come back, they were longing for Jesus to come in the very beginning. So at the forefront of their minds, we can't underscore this enough. Typically, we recognize Easter as like the, the pinnacle date and time where humanity uh, that was the turning point for humanity. And that is true. That's 1B. 1A, though, is the birth of Jesus, of what we're reading now. Because we understand if Jesus was never born, he could never die. So don't let, again, this story become stale or stagnant when you read this. This is miraculous. This is God becoming flesh and dwelling among us. And just as Israel was longing for him, we're longing for Jesus to come back. Two more important uh, details that are in verses 26 and 7. They're important because they're fulfillments of prophecy. Isaiah 7 and 2 Samuel 7 is also uh, given here. That, That connects Jesus as the Messiah to a virgin. To a virgin. Gabriel Galilee, named Nazareth, to a virgin. Uh, this virgin is three times is said in these, in these couple verses, in, in verses um, 26 through 38. Uh, Luke is highlighting this. This is important. Not only because it's miraculous, because we know that virgins can't have babies, but more and so, it's tying it to something even greater. And that's the one story of redemption. Luke is tying this back to Isaiah and what was prophesied, that this is who you are to look for. This Messiah is going to come from this virgin. So that's one. It ties this, the story of redemption of Isaiah and Luke together. Secondly, Joseph of the house of David. 
This is important to know because in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 7, it tells us that there's the greatest king of Israel is going to come from the line of David. And this is not just going to be a king who reigns for like 25 to 50 years, but he's going to reign and set up his kingdom for eternity. So this birth, this child is also going to be tied to David. And this is, again, why we kicked off our advency and look at the genealogy in Matthew last week. Because it says, this is the Matthew 1.1, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. So we see these two important prophecies being fulfilled right here, or about to be fulfilled. It ties together, again, the one story of redemption that we have in this scripture. And that should give you confidence. And that's to solidify your hope that the stories that we read in Scripture are true. And they are right because they are being guided by the Lord Himself. And He will bring what He says in the past to pass. So that's the stage that is set. Secondly, we see the message of hope in Luke 28 through 31. Look at verse 28. And He came and said to her, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now quickly, we have, we have, we have those in the Catholic place that kind of elevate Mary. And this, let me just share how we view Mary. What, what, what Luke is saying here is he's not saying that Mary was sinless. He's not saying that Mary was sinless and that, or that she was uniquely special outside of, of God's grace. She was uniquely special and more special than you or me. No, what, what God is saying here is that she was favored exactly because God chose to put His grace on her. She was a teenage girl like many of you teenage girls here. She had her struggles. She had her sins. But God in His divine providence showed to pour out His grace on this teenage girl who was in Nazareth. She was favored because of the grace of God. Now, did she have a special role in the story of redemption? Yeah. She gave birth to our Lord and Savior. Amen. But that was Mary's role in the story of redemption. Just like He has given you and me roles to play in the story of redemption. He has given us plans. He has given us things to accomplish in the story of redemption for His glory and our joy. Just like Mary And so just as she was favored, you are favored. I am favored. Why? Because the grace of God has been shown on you and me. That's why she is favored. So Mary, again, is probably a teenager, anywhere between 12 and and, and 19 years old. As I already pointed out, I have one teenager left, Madison. And every time I read this, you know, I have two girls, I, I always get like, man, what would it have been like if the angel Gabriel showed up to Madison and gave her this, and then she came and relayed the story to me, how would I respond? How would you respond? Parents of teenage girls in here, you'd probably say, uh, let's go see the doctor right now, right? It'd be like, whoa, can you imagine it? But I love, I love the detail Luke gives us. And I love how Mary is honest with the detail she gave Luke. She says, but she was greatly troubled. Who wouldn't be troubled when the angels show up out of the blue and start to speak to you? We'd all be troubled. But then I also love the second, the second half of this. And she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. I mean, think about that, ladies. Angel shows up, tells you that you're going to give birth, you're a virgin, to, and you're like, well, let me, let, hold on, let, time out, Gabriel. Let me just sit down. Let me, let, me, let me process what you're telling me. 
And it says that Mary was troubled and fearful. Of course she was. Like all of us in here would have been. But then we see Gabriel notices it. Gabriel the angel notices Mary's trouble. And so he tries to calm her trouble. Say, oh, Mary, Mary. Here, here, here let, let me. Okay, I know this is overwhelming, but let me give you the plan. This is, this is what's going to happen, Mary. And then look at verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and he will call the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever of his kingdom. And there will be no end. Now I can just see, see Mary be like, okay, Gabriel, that kind of helps, right? But that's overwhelming. I mean, just wow. When you read that, and, then, and this is Gabriel telling Mary, hey, this is what your son's going to be. I mean, it's an amazing thought. It's an unbelievable thought. It's an, it's an overwhelming thought. And so here's Mary. And it's like Gabriel saying, hey, Mary. And he also uses some of these verses, in, in, in particular when he quotes in Matthew chapter 1, Isaiah 7, to Joseph to say that, hey, this is part of God's plan. Mary didn't go out on you, Joseph. But he says, in fact, Mary, Joseph, you can go back to Isaiah. You can go back to Isaiah chapter 7. You can go back to Isaiah chapter 9 and fact check me to see if what I say is really true. I mean, think about it. There were Saturdays in which Mary and Joseph, this newly betrothed couple, was sitting in the synagogue and hearing the, 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 the priest read Isaiah chapter 7. They were, they were sitting there and, and, and they heard, Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and he shall call his name Emmanuel. Both Mary and Joseph are hearing that. And Gabriel says, Mary, you're that woman who's going to give birth. That woman who's going to give birth to this child in Isaiah 7 is you. Joseph, that's your wife. She is going to be the one to give birth. Can you imagine that? They sat and they heard the Scriptures. They heard of the prophecy. They heard of the future Messiah going to come from this virgin. That he was going to be born. His son's going to be given. The government shall rest on his shoulders. His name shall be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Of the throne of David and over the kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth. And the zeal of the Lord of the hosts will do this. Mary and Joseph, this is your child. Oh, incredible. Amazing. Overwhelming. Gabriel comforts Mary and Joseph by making it clear that this is God's plan. It's the zeal of the Lord of hosts to do this, and He's going to do this through you, Mary, and your child. So what kind of greeting was this? This is a good greeting. This is a greeting of hope. And we know that... <clears throat> And what hope do you think Mary and Joseph, even though they couldn't fully comprehend it, that their child was the one with whom all of God's promises that were promises in the past would be yes in Jesus, would be yes in their son, as 2 Corinthians says. And if you think about it, this makes total sense, that, that Jesus would become a baby, that that's where the beginning would. He wouldn't, he wouldn't start out this world as a 30-year-old man. But he would start out as a baby. He would come as an infant. Why? 
Because babies are hope personified, are they not? Babies are hope personified. They're, they're pure potential. We just had our first grandchild, little Evie. And we look at her and we're like, she is the most precious thing on planet earth next to my five kids and my wife. Amen? All right. Still love you guys. But there's something special about her. And she's, she's just starting out. She's two months old. She just turned two months old on the third. And she's pure potential. And we're like, man, JT and Brooke, like, and just like many of you, first-time parents, are like, what, what, what is going to come of this child? Are they going to be a doctor or a nurse and heal people and help people? Are they going to be a lawyer that pursues justice and righteousness? An engineer that builds things around our city? A, a painter? A ballerina? A professional athlete? A business owner? A, a teacher? A geologist? What, what is this child going to be? Babies are pure hope and personified. And Mary, it would be no different when she would hold Jesus in her arms for her first time. What will this child accomplish? She was visited by Gabriel, who told her what her little baby boy would be. Again, can you imagine that, ladies? That the baby is going to be the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The Savior of the world. Again, Luke kind of answers the question of the song, Mary, did you know? Yeah, Mary knew. Luke chapter 1, but not fully. But not fully. So that's first that this, this child, the message of hope would be the Savior, the Messiah, the sovereign King that would come and rule forever. But also, I want to highlight the message of hope that Gabriel spoke to Joseph in Matthew 1, 21. Because he quotes the same thing. She will give birth, Mary will give birth to a son, and you shall give him the name Jesus. Why shall you give him the name Jesus? Because he will save people from their sins. That's the message of hope. This is the message of hope for you and me this morning, because not only does Jesus fulfill the prophecies of old about his kingdom, his rule, his reign, but also of the suffering servant in Isaiah 53, that he will save you and me from our sins. We know in Joseph's day that the Jews were looking for a geopolitical savior to save them from the oppression of Rome, a physical redemption. But the message, when, when this message came from Gabriel and then through John the Baptist, from the beginning, John the Baptist's message was not one of physical conquering, but a spiritual conquering of sin. And not just for Israel and the Jews, but for the whole world, for you and me, Gentiles. Behold, when, when John saw Jesus come, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That was the message of John the Baptist. That we are to repent and believe for the forgiveness of your sin. And then when John was arrested, Jesus picked up that same message, that same mantle. In his first sermon in Mark chapter 1, he says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time has been fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. What? Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus said, I've come to seek and save the lost. I've come to forgive sin. Jesus came to secure our salvation. This is the message of hope that Gabriel gave Mary and Joseph. That their baby would be the one who would save the world from their sins. Same message that John the Baptist and Jesus preached in their days. The same message of hope that we have this morning. The same hope that we preach every single week from this pulpit. The message of the Gospel. That we have confidence that our sins can be forgiven 
if we repent of our sins and turn and embrace Jesus by faith. What He has done in His perfect life lived in our place. That He had died on the cross for your sin and my sin. That He was buried and that He rose again three days later. Do you believe that? That is the message that we're talking about today of hope. It is the only message. It's the only place where true and lasting hope is found. It's found in Jesus. It's found in the Gospel. It's found in you and me repenting of our sins and trusting in Christ. So I pray there's not a person in here that walks out those doors that has not bowed the knee to King Jesus. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation found in the announcement of this baby Jesus. And that brings us to the third and final point. Hope applied. Hope applied. Verses 34 through 38. I've got to get my glasses out for this one because I forgot to put it in my notes. <clears throat> 34. And Mary said to the angel, How can it be since I am a virgin? And Gabriel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called holy, set apart, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son and is in the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Mary asks a good question, a legitimate question. Hey, I'm a virgin. Virgins don't give birth. Science 101. I know maybe some people out in the world out there might think differently, but that's science 101, right? You got, virgins don't give birth. It's impossible. And then Gabriel kind of sums it up. He talks about, hey, how the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and you can see and this is crazy thing that we can't even wrap our minds around, but God can because He is the giver of life and nothing is impossible for Him. That's how Luke sums up Mary's story and the story of hope. Nothing is impossible for God. That's why we have hope this morning. The NIV says, for no word from God will ever fail. In other words, what the the Lord says is going to happen will happen. Why? Because He said it's going to happen. And He has the power and the ability to make it come to pass. He boils down Mary's hope and our hope, again, with this truth that nothing is impossible with God. This is the foundation of Mary's hope, of Joseph's hope, of your hope, and my hope. That nothing is impossible with God. Do you believe that this morning? I mean, take a a true inventory check on your heart. Do you believe that this morning? Is that where your hope lies? In God and God alone. As the psalmist said, hope in God. Or is your hope in your abilities? Is your hope for happiness or joy? Is that where you're, you, you, you first think of your abilities? You think of maybe your looks. I don't know, today's day and age. Or your morality. What are you basing your hope on? First and foremost, we need to base our hope that with God, nothing is impossible. He is our foundation of hope. In fact, outside of that, there is no hope. He is our hope. Do you believe that this morning? Do you look at your life? Do you look at your future? Do you look at your dreams, your desires through that lens first and foremost? Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. He is our foundation of hope. Is He your foundation of hope this morning? 
Let me encourage you in this truth that nothing is impossible with God. You may be going through the deepest valley of your life right now, but just remember, nothing is impossible with God. He's the one that spoke and this whole world came into existence. He can meet your needs right now. He can meet your struggle. He can meet you in that valley and be your great shepherd to lead you out of that valley. Maybe you're struggling financially. We need to remember there's nothing impossible with God. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. Maybe you're struggling relational with your spouse, with your kids, with your friends. Don't forget nothing's impossible with God. If He can turn enemies into His children, He can fix your relationship. This last year and a half, I don't know about you, but there's been many, many days where my soul has not been restful. Anyone in here? Last year and a half? Soul has not been restful? Nothing is impossible with God. He can give you rest. The Lord gives you rest. How about far from God? Anyone here fear far from God? Anyone keep committing that sin over and over and over again? You can't seem to shake it? Nothing's impossible with God. The Lord will restore your soul through the gospel, through Christ, through His Word. 2022, new year. Who needs wisdom in here? Who has some life decisions that will alter the direction of your family, of your life? You got to make it. You need wisdom. You need guidance. Nothing's impossible with God. The Lord, your God, will guide you in paths of righteousness. Lonely. Anyone lonely in here? I know this is a season of joy and hope and it seems like all the parties and everyone seems happy, but this is one of the highest suicide times of our, of our, our year, our calendar year. Because people are desperate. They're lonely even though they're surrounded by a bunch of people. Is that you this morning? Do you feel lonely? Nothing's impossible with God. The Lord, He is with you. He is with you. Do you need security this morning? Nothing's impossible with God. The Lord's rod and staff will protect you. Do you need provision and joy? Nothing is impossible with God. The Lord overflows your cup. Do you need hope for the future? Nothing is impossible with God. The Lord will dwell with you forever. Nothing's impossible with God. He is our hope. There is no valley too deep, no mountain too high, no river too wide for God not to meet you where you're at. Nothing is impossible with God. I love how one commentator put it this way. He said, if God can take a virgin like Mary and give her a son, if God can take on human flesh and enter into human history as a man, if God can forgive our sins through His Son Jesus' death on the cross, if God can raise Jesus from the dead, if God can hear and answer your prayers, if God can make you who once were an enemy and now makes you His child and a friend, Nothing is impossible with God. He is our hope. He is our peace. He is our security. This is why we are happy and hopeful as Christians. This is why we sing and pray because our God is a God of the impossible. And nothing is impossible with God. So this morning, just as Gabriel announced to uh, Mary, hope in God, are you, are me, Let us, let us hope in God this morning because nothing is impossible for God. Christianity is a a religion of hope. Christianity is hope. Again, as R.C. Sproul said, at the heart of Christianity is hope. 
It's a hope that looks forward to the future, to a time when God's promises were fulfilled. It was a hope true. It was true for God's people prior to Christ's birth, those living in Isaiah's time and and Daniel's time, as they were looking forward to the hope of the Messiah to come. Just as that was true for Mary and Joseph, so they looked down at their newborn baby, Jesus, with hope, knowing that the time has been fulfilled in this little child, the prophecies from past. God's promise has finally come. And it's true for us today. It's true for you and me today as we look forward to the return of Christ, His second advent. Our faith is a future-focused faith of hope. I hope that encourages you this morning. It's a future-focused faith of hope because nothing is impossible for God. How do we attain this hope? How do we apply this? How do we continue to live in this hope? We walk by faith. Just like Mary and Joseph. One of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, and one of the most encouraging passages of all of Scripture, is found in verse 38 of Luke chapter 1. And Mary said, after she heard all this, she said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Isn't that great? What great wisdom from a teenage girl. Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And my prayer this morning for you and for me is that my my faith might be the same faith that Mary has. And my faith is not in my ability, but it's in the Word of God. It's in according to your Word. It's in the promises of God for you and for me. That's where our hope is. Our hope is in Christ. His life, His death, His resurrection. Our hope is in Jesus God who became flesh and dwelt among us. And one day He will come back. And so we, may we have the faith, just like Mary, who believed in God's Word. Let's pray. Father, thank You. Man, thank You for this amazing and astonishing birth announcement. And just as we were amazed in the 17 births at one time, or the 69 births to one woman, or the 23, 24 pound baby, Lord, that we would be even so much more amazed because that is, that's amazing. But the birth that we just heard about this morning is miraculous. And it ripples through eternity. And it has implications for everyone in this room. And that implication is that if we want true hope, we want true peace, love, and salvation. Through preventing in our sins and trusting in the baby in the manger who grew up to be our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen.